The book of Jonah is probably one of the strangest prophetic books in the scriptures. It's not like any of the others. And, and Jonah doesn't seem to be like any of the other prophets. You know, J- Jonah's book is, instead of being a, a recording of, of the words that Jonah speaks, it's, it's a snippet of the narrative of Jonah's life. And, and there are all kinds of things that people have taken from the book of Jonah. He's probably the most famous of all the prophets. I mean, you know, he's famous enough that uh, VeggieTales made a whole movie out of him. It was in the theater. And, and Jonah, of course, is the first advocate for the whole Save the Whales campaign that would take place. And, and Jonah honestly really isn't all that great of a representative of God. I mean, this is a guy who was really struggling with the will of God. So much so that when God says, go this way, Jonah goes that way. And we have recorded here really not a prophecy of Jonah, but the struggle of Jonah. Now, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, perhaps for a number of reasons. Nineveh is a a great city. Nineveh is the jewel of of the ancient world. It is is a city that has this 40 to 50 foot high wall around about 10 miles of the city that sits on the Tigris River. It is the first ancient city to have a whole water aqueduct system. The palace in which the king lives has 71 rooms. And the library in Nineveh has 22,000 Clay inscribed tablets. The city of Nineveh becomes the the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And one of the things that the Assyrian Empire is, is infamous for is their cruelty toward the people they conquer. Story after story we find in, in the ancient uh, ancient tales. Of, of the cruelty and, and the things that Assyria does to the people that they conquer. And maybe one of the reasons Jonah is afraid to go is because he's fearful for his own safety. But Nineveh is also, as the capital of Assyria, the nation that ultimately defeats and destroys and, and supplants the nation of Israel, Jonah's home. And I suspect that has a lot to do with why Jonah feels the way he does about the people of Nineveh. As you read through this story, it's very evident that Jonah, it's not just about the fact that these people maybe aren't Jews. There is something specific about the people of Nineveh that Jonah simply doesn't like. And when you boil it down... Jonah doesn't just dislike them. There is something in his spirit that declares to God, I don't want you to extend grace to them. Because after they repent, Jonah's response is not, oh, that's so awesome. It is, God, what are you doing? I suspect that maybe in our quiet moments, which is us and our thoughts, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are groups of people in the world that are like Ninevites to us. People that 
we dislike. And honestly, people that we would just as soon God not extend grace to. Maybe it's people who who harm children. Maybe it's ruthless dictators that, that initiate all kinds of heinous things. Maybe it's drug lords in places of the world who just indiscriminately murder innocent people for their own gain. Maybe it's terrorists who set off bombs in the middle of a market and people who are just trying to get their food are killed. Maybe it's the people that we see celebrating in the images that we find after 9-11 or after things that happen to our nation. Maybe it's the people on Wall Street who have so crippled our economy with their greed. Billionaires who have more money than they know what to do with and yet steal the pension funds of the people who work for their company. Maybe it's people who have a political or ideological perspective that is different from ours. Maybe it's fundamentalists or maybe it's people who are liberal. Maybe it's people who are on different sides of some of the big social issues in our culture. But whatever it is, I'm pretty sure, if we're honest, there are people that we simply dislike. We do not want good to happen to them. And what we really want for them is God's judgment. And we do not want God to extend grace. I think one of the reasons we're fearful and and hesitant about God's grace is not just that we may dislike these people, but there's something about extending grace to them that, that might send the impression that their perspective and what they do is okay. That God doesn't care how they behave. God, God doesn't care about their, their particular ideology or their particular way of seeing life. In, in many ways, the people who are, who are Ninevites in our culture are the people that we think are leading our culture, our world, our nation, the church, whatever, in the wrong direction. And for God to extend grace to them can, could easily be interpreted as what you're doing is okay. The perspective you have is fine. There are no consequences to that. And, and, and we don't want to be party to that. I think that's Jonah's issue. I think Jonah's saying, Lord, you cannot do this. They're going to think that what they're doing is all right. And it's not. And I can almost hear Jonah saying to God, look, I, I know that you are a God who is gracious, merciful, kind, you, you relent from calamity and, and, and you give people chances over and over again. And honestly, that's really starting to bug me. God, you have got to... You, it's why I ran to Tarshish to begin with because I knew you were going to do this. I knew that as soon as they repented, you were going to say, I forgive you. And God, you have to stop extending grace to people who don't deserve it. And of course, that implies 
that we deserve it, that he deserves it. And the truth of the matter is none of us deserve it. That's why we call it grace. If all of us received from God what we deserve, I'm pretty sure the church would be empty today. But there's something in us that wants to believe that that we can do enough, that we're good enough, that there's something in us that, that makes grace to us something that we deserve. And there are other people in the world who don't deserve that grace because of the things that they do or the positions they hold. They don't deserve grace, but we're better than that. And we're certainly better than them. And so we deserve grace. But none of us deserve grace. What, the, any good in our lives, and any, anything that is positive in our lives, any, any element of faith... And of relationship with God that we have extended is because we have received God's grace first. And out of that, God has helped us to do good things and and to be a witness for him and, and to be different. But none of us deserve grace. And I think it bothers us that God is so readily willing to extend grace to people that we don't think should get it. We're certainly not going to extend them grace. We don't want them to think that we agree with them or we're going to be party to the way that they see things or to what they do. And it reminds us that one of the principles of the kingdom that we see in this story is that God's people desire God's grace for all God's creatures. It's one of the dynamics of the kingdom. It's one of the elements that makes us Christian, that identifies us as followers of God. Is that God's people desire God's grace for all God's creatures. Jonah, when he runs, isn't running away from the people of Nineveh. He's running away from the character of God. He's really not angry at the people of Nineveh. He doesn't really care a thing about them. But he's angry at God. In that fourth chapter, you see five times it mentions Jonah's anger. Every time, it's directed toward God. God, I knew you were a God who relents from doing calamity. I knew you were gracious. That's why I didn't want to come here. That's why I ran the other way. And I'm irritated about it. Because somewhere in Jonah's mind, as often in our minds, is that we believe justice should be, judgment should be given to some people, but grace should be given to us. Because we deserve it. We're better than them. And the story of Jonah keeps bringing us back to the reality that it's simply not true. And Jonah's wrestling to grasp that. It's natural to think that way. That's how human beings operate. We're continually judging people. They're on my side. They're not on my side. I agree with them. I disagree with them. They deserve my, my grace. They don't. 
They deserve God's grace. They don't. We're continually dividing people into those categories. You see this as we move, we're moving forward with the election. I mean, the rhetoric of this election is just so bad, so divisive. Yesterday, I saw, I think, three ads on television, and, and they, I, I, there was no indication at all that they were for a candidate. The ads were simply about who they were against. And that's become the rhetoric, not just of culture in general, but even in the church. And there's this great chasm that's developing between us. I saw a survey recently that was done, an extensive denominational survey. And one of the summary points out of that survey was this, that most Christians don't like lost people. That's scary. Most Christians don't like lost people. And yet God calls us to be his presence to lost people in this world. And we wrestle with that. Because we don't want to extend grace to people we don't think deserve it. In Luke 11 and in Matthew 12, you have a similar, the similar story. And Jesus has been performing all these great miracles. And yet the Pharisees come to him and say, we want a sign from you that you're, you're from God. I can see Jesus looking around going, what do you want? The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Demons are cast out of people. What more can I do? We want a sign. He says, all right, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. That's the only sign you're going to get, the sign of Jonah. And in Matthew's gospel, he, he says to them, one of the signs of Jonah you're going to get is that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and then rise up. Just as Jonah was vomited out onto the land. You don't get to say vomit in church very much. To read that in the scripture, so I had to throw that one in. He, you know, he, he, he said the same way, the Son of Man is going to rise out of the ground. But he also says, both in Luke and in Matthew, that the other sign of Jonah that they're going to get is is that the people of Nineveh, who they have spent their lives judging, and who certainly Jonah judges, when all is said and done, and the kingdom is established in its fullness, those people who repented at Jonah's preaching are going to judge you, who refuse to repent at my preaching. It's a sobering thought to realize where our heart, our spirit of judgmentalism can lead us. It's actually kind of, kind of crazy that the people of Nineveh repent so quickly and, and so easily when all Jonah says, at least all we have recorded, is this cryptic, simple message in 40 days, the city's going to be overthrown. I have my suspicions that Jonah didn't walk through the city shouting that. I kind of think he mumbled that. You know? In 40 days, the city's going to be overthrown. In 40 days, the city's going to be overthrown. In 40 days, the city's going to be overthrown. He doesn't even want them to hear him. You know, he doesn't really want them to repent. He doesn't want them to hear that word. And, and even if he does tell them and they hear it, it's crazy that that 
Just that phrase, that small message might change their minds about what they're doing, but it does. And and the only way that is even any way reasonable is that God must have been at work in the city of Nineveh long before Jonah got there. And all he wanted from Jonah was just to show up. Just to show up and just say, bad stuff's going to happen. And the people fall on their knees and they repent. And I sometimes wonder if, if all God is asking of us in, in the face of people that, that we're hesitant to engage with, all he's saying is, I just want you to show up. Just be a witness. Just act like you care. Just let me use you. Let me make you a vessel, a channel through which I can reach these people that you may not love, but I do. And you may not think they deserve grace, but I do. Because in my kingdom, he says, God's people desire God's grace for all God's creatures. I think God is at work in situations far more than we realize. He just wants us to show up. To be a presence, to be a voice. And let him use us. It's a sobering thought to realize that there are people in the world who when they think about the Ninevites in their lives, think of us. Because of our nationality, because of our race, because of our faith, because of where we live. There are people in the world who, who don't want to, God to extend grace to us. Just as there are people in the world that we don't want God to extend grace to as well. And it reminds us that we're all in need of God's grace. This story, when you boil it down, is really not about, it's really not about the conversion of the people of Nineveh. It's really about God wanting to change the heart of Jonah. It's Jonah who needs to change. It's Jonah who needs to have a new perspective of God, who needs to be humbled And sometimes I wonder if if what God is really asking of us is, is to be willing to do what makes him happy, even if it doesn't make us happy. In some ways, that's one of the definitions of what it means to be a follower of God and to worship him, is to be willing to do what we know makes him happy, even if it doesn't make us happy. And I wonder, is it possible that God lets these people come into our lives these people that we would rather avoid, these people that we we have a hard time loving, these people that we really don't want to extend grace to and we don't want God to extend grace to. I wonder sometimes if the reason God allows those people to intersect their lives with ours is to reveal to us the puny, self-focused image of God that we so often live with. Because when we come face to face with them, we are forced to decide, are we going to see them with our eyes or with God's? Are we going to give them grace or withhold it?
God's looking for us to change as much as he is anyone else. And I am convinced that the primary means through which we change is prayer. Prayer that, in which we come to God in a spirit of openness and humility. Asking God to change us. Richard Foster writes in a number of his books about prayer, that prayer is, is change. And for a long time, I, I always thought that was God changing a circumstance, God changing a situation. But the reality is, God first wants to change we who pray. He wants to change us. He wants to make us different people. He wants us, our hearts, our lives, to look like Christ. Because it is the means through which God will then be able to redeem the world. God wants to use us. And to use us, he's got to break down the walls in our hearts. And he's got to melt us. And he's got to change us. Are we willing to let him do that? As Eugene Peterson says... What ignites Jonah's anger is not theological heresy. It's spiritual poverty. And every one of us are in danger of spiritual poverty. See, despite what people think about God, that he is vengeful and wrathful and honestly... God is more loving than we are, by far. And we need to come to grips with that and embrace that truth. And yes, God does punish sin. And yes, there is justice in the world. And God is the great judge. And and we do not ignore that. There are consequences to sin in this world. And God holds people accountable. But it is always... It is always from his heart of love and grace and mercy. And God is always more willing to extend grace and to extend forgiveness to people than we will ever dream of being. And I think the reason people have this view of God as vengeful and wrathful as the primary image of God is honestly because... That's the perspective we've given them. That's the image that we have portrayed of God. And that's often the way we speak of God. But into a world that desperately needs God, into a world of people who are far from God and who struggle with with believing God and are rejecting God all over the place and all the principles of God, God's means of Redeeming the world is through his people who embrace his heart of grace. In his book, Life After God, <clears throat> excuse me, Douglas Copeland has a, a narr- the narrator in one of the places say, Here's my secret. And I'm telling you this secret with 
a spirit of openness that honestly I probably won't have again. So I hope you're in a quiet place so you can hear these words clearly. And he says, here is my secret. I need God. I need God to help me give because I no longer am capable of giving. I need God to help me to be kind because I I am no longer capable of kindness. I need God to help me love because I seem to no longer be capable of being loving. It's that perspective that Jonah misses. That God's people desire God's grace for all of God's creatures. Jonah struggles and he misses it. What about us? In this moment of silence, as we think about those people, that group of people that we struggle to extend grace to. Let's ask God to soften our hearts, change our perspective. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace extended to us. And thank you for your desire to change us. We pray this through Christ. Amen.